All right, cats and kittens, we are back with another stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of The Brando Cast. And I know that all of you kids out there have been clamoring for a certain band, for us to cover a certain band. We've done Rats, we've done Saxon, we've done Rush, we've done Dio, we've done Black Sabbath, but we have not done one of the most important bands in the history of musical recordings, and that is a little band called Duran Duran. And besides Simon Le Bon and John Taylor, there is no better human being to talk about Duran Duran with than my guest on the Brando cast today. You might know her as the host of Feedback on Sirius XM Volume Channel 106, Feedback on every morning. But you also might know her as someone who published, I don't know, maybe one of the most important fanzines completely dedicated to Duran Duran called Too Much Information, the definitive Duran zine, which she published through the year of our Lord, 1995. Ladies and gentlemen, on the Brando cast today is Lori Majewski. Oh my God, you put me ahead of two Taylors and Nick Rhodes. I'm so flattered. Well, I, I kind of feel like maybe you are better suited to talk about Duran Duran than Nick Nick Rhodes. I don't know about Simon and John. I don't know how they could possibly uh, top your fandom. <laughs> I don't even know how they feel about their own band. But you are the absolute perfect person to break down Duran Duran with today. And I'm so excited to have a skilled broadcaster here on the podcast with me today. I am honored. Absolutely honored. Um, and also, via the power of Zoom today, you haven't heard his voice on the Brandocast since we've been self-quarantined, but ladies and gentlemen, he's your favorite. He's the super producer. Richard Sheltinga. That's right. Is back. <laughs> he's back with us today. Here I am. From his lair, from his lair in Woodland Hills. My dark lair. Boarded up. Is it because he's a Durani? Should we just tell Lori now, Richard, should we just get the tricky business please, out of the please way? Please tell me now. Is there something a- I should know? <laughs> well, yes, there is. I used to manage John Taylor from uh, about 1998, 99, uh, until Duran got back together. And then I went to the firm management company with Jeff Quantnets, and he wouldn't let me manage Duran or John Taylor. So John and I broke up oh my god so you managed jt back when he was doing like his solo project stuff that's right uh, did you go to the uh was it joe's pub with simon lebon guesting in uh, maybe- oh i was in the front with yeah. my friend lisa it was a party for juicy couture yep it was who was at that point i think i don't think they were married yet i think that gila no, was still his his girlfriend and we went out. Did you? Were you with us when we went out afterwards to Balthazar? No, no, I didn't. I didn't go to that. I had some friends in town, so okay. We, okay. We, but uh, yeah, and that was that, the beginning. That was of an the, amazing night. An amazing night. It was an amazing night. Wait, so what do you want to talk about today, my friends? Because it just I can talk Duran Duran for weeks. Well, what we're gonna do? I'm just gonna use the. The the cold history of Duran Duran from Wikipedia uh, to share with the listeners and to spark a conversation with you, Lori. Now, there's nothing I'm going to read that you don't know. I don't know. You might be the person who created the Duran Duran Wikipedia page. I don't know how to do that or else I would correct things when I find it wrong, but I don't know how to do that. Then you are free to correct whatever you want for the next 55 minutes because I'm going to start right now. Richard is going to play Planet Earth and I'm going to read to you that in 1978, John Taylor and Nick Rhodes formed Duran Duran in Birmingham, England where they became the resident band at the city's Rum Runner nightclub. John was working the door there, and Nick DJed there for 10 pounds a night. There was another club in the area called Barbarella's. John and Nick went on to name the band after Dr. Durand Durand, a character from the 1968 sci-fi film with the same name. After a number of early lineup changes, the band finally settled in with Andy Taylor on guitar, Roger Taylor on drums, and the legendary lead singer Simon Laban. In 1980, they recorded two demo tapes 
and performed in clubs around Birmingham and London. The band also attracted critical attention as a live band, resulting in a bidding war between EMI and Phonogram. A certain patriotism toward the label of the Beatles led the band to sign with EMI in December of 1980. The band's first album, Duran Duran, was released on EMI in 1981, and this is the first single, Planet Earth, which reached number 12 in the UK. And quick note, uh, by the way, none of the Taylors are related. Lori, did I miss any important details in that very brief introduction to Duran Duran? Yes. Coming up on July 16th will be the 40th anniversary of the first show with the original five members, Simon Lebon being the last piece of the puzzle to come together. And that first show was at um, was was in Birmingham, as we as you talked about. And uh, th- so we're coming up on four decades of Duran Duran, the classic lineup. Insane. Now, were they going to do some sort of uh, 40th anniversary tour or a 40th anniversary show? Because they're still relevant and current and they tour every few years or so. Were they slated to go out on the road this summer? Yes. Um, they, were, they had a big July 4th concert slated for london at hyde park and they it was going to be a celebration of duran duran and the opening acts were going to be chic featuring nile rogers gwen stefani and grace jones and then this bullshit covid came along and ruined my dream of going to see this show and i think they were going to do um a small club show to celebrate in Birmingham, England, to um, celebrate that 40th anniversary of when Simon joined the band and they played their first gig at the Rum Runner. So, yeah, COVID reigned on my Duran parade. So you, Lori Majewski, host of Feedback on SiriusXM Volume Channel 106, would have flown to the UK to see your heroes. It's just a a puddle jump. It's across the pond. I've done that many times. I've seen Duran in many countries around the world. What's the most exotic place you've seen your favorite band? You know, I don't know if it's exotic, but my favorite was um, a Smirnoff party that they did in Paris um, with Mark Ronson. And it was the beginning of them getting to... Uh, record with him and I it's when Smirnoff launches you know hosts a party can you imagine the amount of (laughs) drinks that I had free 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 and then afterwards we went back to the Ritz Hotel and um I got into an argument with John Kerry, but that has nothing to do with Duran Duran um (laughs) the guy who ran for president um and well, Nick Rose oh, sat John next Kerry. to me and I could feel he was embarrassed. Yes, yeah. John Kerry. Oh. It was, yeah, now I know, remember when it was. It was must have been 2008 because it was the summer that Hillary was running against Obama. And we sauntered the Duran crew and... Um, and, and me and my, well, he was my boyfriend at the time, we sauntered into this Ritz Hotel. We were having the best time. And I see Owen Wilson and John Kerry and I just went over and sat on the couch next to them and with Nick Rhodes. And John Kerry asked me who I was voting for, Obama or Hillary. And I said, Hillary, of course. And he said, but she's a bitch. Whoa. Oh, whoa. And I was, and I was like, excuse me? I voted for you? Does it matter if she's a bitch? But this is about Duran Duran. So I just wanted to let you know that was a great night. Oh, no, 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 no. That's that's what I want to know. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I think you've just dropped a bomb that could be uh, that could be a broadcast on CNN that John Kerry says that Hillary Clinton is a bitch. <laughs> I know. See, we make news right here on your show, Brando. <laughs> that, that, that's all, that's all that I'm looking for. All right. So as I said in the in the opening, you started a, a fanzine and I'm sure it was a very popular fanzine. So when did Duran Duran come into your field of vision, into your existence? Well, growing up in Weehawken, New Jersey, we were one of the very first in the country to have MTV. And I do remember Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. I remember um, various Rod Stewart videos. 
and I do remember the Planet Earth video, but it wasn't until Hungry Like the Wolf debuted on that channel that I became possessed by Duran Duran and it changed my life. Basically, there's a moment in the video where John Taylor is wearing no shirt under a, a like a maroon red wine colored blazer. And he, he says no, because basically they're looking for Simon Le Bon in the video. And he says no. And I don't know what that, I was 11 years old. And it was like, you know, in Poltergeist, when the little girl watches the TV and like, she just like gets sucked in. It was that moment. I always yeah. say Duran Duran chose <laughs> me, not the other way around. <laughs> Did you have a favorite Duran? then and always Nigel John Taylor, born June 20th, 1960. We just had his 60th birthday last week. Forever. John Taylor. <laughs> All right, Richard, play Girls on Film, because I'm going to read a little bit more stuff right here for Lori. Girls on Film, Duran Duran's third single, was the song that really broke things open for the band. The song went to number five in the UK, riding on the back of a video that featured topless women, mud wrestling, and pillow fighting. The video was made by Godley and Cream in August of 1981 and filmed just two weeks after MTV was launched in the United States. A heavily edited version of Girls on Film soon appeared on the brand new channel and Duran Duran were immediate video darlings. The band then embarked on their first United States club tour. Now, Lori, I will tell you, I think you know this about me from our appearances on uh, on feedback, that I am metal. I am 52 years old. So in 1980, 81, 82, 83, all I'm doing is Van Halen, Rush, ACDC, Ozzy, Dio, and all those kind of bands. But we had MTV in Albuquerque, New Mexico right away as well. And I will say to you that even though I was a metal guy, I was always like, God damn it, these guys are good. Now, I'm not allowed to like this stuff as a young dude. But I always secretly loved Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and New Order and all the other new wave bands. Like, people don't realize how goddamn huge this video was, Girls on Film, on MTV. It felt to me like they played it on the hour and the half back in the day. Yes. Do you, I want you to know that, that in my high school, the Duranis and the Metalers, we formed a group. We were friends. In fact, I have a certificate of metalification <laughs> that the metalers in my school gave to me, and they signed it in blood. The metalers. It's true. Wait, wait, wait. Was it an actual paper certificate? Yes, and it had a said... Band-Aid. I don't know why they put a Band-Aid on it. Maybe, but in, it was signed in blood by Rich Wells, Joe Ritigliano. I remember it. And they loved Sabbath. They loved Ozzy, even Solo. And we realized that, you know, we championed each other because we were both disenfranchised. The Durannies and the Meddlers realized that we were the outsiders. We did not love Jovi like the rest of my school. We did not love Bruce Springsteen. You know, we, we were in New Jersey. Right. Weehawken is Channel 9. Is, was Channel 9 broadcast out of Weehawken? Um, out of Secaucus, New Jersey, or as other people say, Secaucus, oh, out of which is very close. But Weehawken is, as you just said, it is the epicenter of Springsteen yes. land. It is the epicenter of Bon Jovi yes. land. Uh, but by the way, I did like Bon Jovi. He came to Albuquerque, New Mexico, opening for Rat. That's on the right. 7800 degrees Fahrenheit tour I have tour girlfriends for bon that went to yeah, that and I, they said that Stephen that they said that Bon Jovi had the biggest penis they had ever seen inside pants. And this was in the 8th grade. This was the talk <laughs> of the 8th grade. It might have been stuffed. I knew Rat was yeah, dead. It was definitely stuffed. No, Rat was everybody was like so into Rat and the girls came back from that concert and all they could talk about was John Bon Jovi's penis. I knew Rat was over from then on. <laughs> Where did you go to high school? What was we the name of your high school? We in high school. WHS, who's the best? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was a cheerleader. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're a cheerleader and a Durani. Yes. And the only cheerleader, after Cookie Gremlick grew her hair out, I was the only cheerleader with like a half-shaved head. 
<laughs> I was cool. Okay. I, I, we must know. We must know. I think every listener of the BrandoCast is dying to know, where is Cookie Gremlick today? Cookie Gremlick is, she's in New Jersey. Um, and my friend is writing a screenplay right now. And Cookie Gremlick is the lead character. He just loves her name so much. But um, I believe she's a nurse and that she's an essential worker in the New Jersey area. <laughs> well, God bless Cookie Gremlick, because I think every, every every person must have a Cookie Gremlick in their life. Okay, Richard, <laughs> play Rio. MTV helped Duran Duran achieve worldwide recognition by the beginning of 1982. In May of that year, they released their second album, Rio, which scored four top 20 singles in the UK with My Own Way, Hungry Like the Wolf, Save a Prayer, and the title song, Rio. A headlining tour of Australia, Japan, and the US was followed by a stint supporting Blondie during that band's final American tour. Diana, Princess of Wales, declared Duran Duran her favorite band, and the band were dubbed the Fab Five by the British press, comparing them to the Beatles, whose nickname was the Fab Four. Rio did not do well in the U.S. until Capitol Records decided to promote the record as a dance album. It was then re-released in the U.S. in November and began to climb the American charts six months after its success in Europe. MTV placed Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio, and several other Duran Duran videos in heavy rotation and pushed this single and the album into the U.S. Top 20 by the early part of 1983. I just finished watching all of The Crown, uh, and I've been obsessed with all kinds of uh, sort of with British royalty lately and the coronavirus. Uh, my lady and I, we binged The Crown in like three and like you know, I a love couple it days. too. Love and it. we know, we know that we know that coming up, season four of The Crown, if they eventually get around to shooting it, we know that it's going to be Diana, Diana, Diana. And I pray to God. And if anyone who's associated with The Crown is listening to the show, please, 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 please have a scene where Lady Di is listening to Rio. At least, oh, they have yes, to. kind of like that scene where Margaret <laughs> is listening to Bowie. Right, which was such an amazing detail in that oh, show. So good, and 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 I think she was. It wasn't teenage. Uh, oh, it wasn't uh, Starman. It wasn't Moon Age. It was uh, Starman. It was Starman. God damn it! Was that it a good scene? So and Harry Styles could play John Taylor if if they have a scene where Diana meets Duran, which we know happened in real life, and there was a bomb threat that night. Tell me about that. The night that Diana met Duran Duran backstage at a show in, in London, I believe it was the Prince's Trust. Um, it wasn't revealed for many years, but that night the IRA um, considered bombing that theater. Maybe it was, it was foiled, I'm not sure, but years later we found this out. It's just, wow, wow, that's got to be, that's gotta be wow. in the, the crown. That scene. Well, they were they were the biggest thing. They were the biggest thing in the UK at that time. And I've said this on on the show. My favorite bands are bands where you know every single member of the band like a character in a movie. The Ramones, Led Zeppelin, of course, the Beatles being the best example of that. Black Sabbath, U2, you, where you can name every member of the band. You know their personalities. You know their role in life in the band. And Duran Duran completely achieved that. They all popped as characters, there were people, I'm sure, like you, who loved Durant, who loved John Taylor more than any other member of the band. There were probably people that that loved Nick Rhodes more than any other member of the band. And I think that that's kind of why they were so cool and so fucking perfect for the video age. Because for the first time in our life, we're actually able to see bands again and again and again without having to go see them in concert. And I remember as a kid knowing that Duran Duran was only huge in the parts of the country that had MTV. Yes, that is absolutely true. Although they were eventually would be on Friday night videos as well. <laughs> Remember Friday night videos? Was that big enough? <laughs> well, Friday night videos was on. I totally remember on NBC. Yeah, 
yeah, that was on prime time. So that was a big deal. And then also you, you know, they would be like, there was American bandstand and that stuff, but it was all about MTV. And if you didn't have MTV, you went to the person's house in your neighborhood who had MTV. And if you weren't invited to someone's house who had MTV, then you were sad. Well, my, my mom worked. So my brothers and I were able to keep MTV on in our house like the radio. It mm-hmm. just ran. And when we would hear videos that we liked, we would come back into the living room and then then leave and go do whatever we had to do, chores or homework or whatnot. That That's why I got to be a fan of different kind of stuff other than Rush and ACDC and Van Halen. And their videos were so incredible and so far above what everybody else was doing, just even the quality of their videos was ridiculous. The locations. Right. Where did they shoot? um, Where did they shoot Hungry Like the Wolf? That was shot in Sri Lanka. And Simon LeBon, you know, the video, you know, the moment in the video where he drinks, uh, he drinks water from, from the swamp that he's in. Yeah. He actually drank elephant piss and um, he, I think he got very, very ill from that. Well, I would imagine. No, that was not in Wikipedia. Uh, uh, we have a, another incredibly fun detail about Hungry Like the Wolf coming up when we eventually play that song. I'm going to save that for later. About the massive amounts of cocaine and champagne? <laughs> because. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Richard, why don't you play The Reflex? <laughs> To satisfy America's appetite for their music, Duran Duran re-released their first album in the U.S. in the middle of 1983 with the addition of the new single, Is There Something I Should Know? Upon its release, this song entered the charts at number one in the U.K. and reached number four in the U.S. The band were under pressure to follow up the success of Rio. And the recording process took over six months as different band members went through bouts of perfectionism, substance abuse, and insecurity. Released in November of 1983, Seven and the Ragged Tiger included Union of the Snake, New Moon on Monday, and The Reflex, which became their first number one hit in the United States. As they ended 1983, Duran Duran had five U.S. top 20 hits from three different records in a single year. The band embarked on a global tour that lasted well into 1984. This is the this is the video that sold Duran Duran to young Brandon Smith. Are they good musicians, Lori? Fuck yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. See, this is the thing about Duran Duran is that they fired on all cylinders. They were really great musicians. They were so damn good looking. They were Diana's favorite band. You know, they great made great music and they made great videos. And women love them. So, oh, eventually it must not be cool to like Duran Duran. And right. that's what bothers me. Because at the end of the day, the real baseline is incredible. Why did John and Andy Taylor go on to work with Bernard Edwards and Tony Thompson from Chic and Robert Palmer? You, they weren't, it's not like Robert Palmer was slumming it. He knew that these guys were great musicians. Look at the people who play on the Arcadia record. I mean, it's, it's, it's a who's who. It's an incredible lineup of musicians. Why would Sting want to be on that? They knew that this was, they were the real deal. It's just that eventually too much success, the press, women like them. Uh Oh, and that's why I think they're still not in the rock and roll of fame because I think they fired on all cylinders. As John Taylor told me, you know, and it's the first line in my in my Mad World oral history. We were perfect. They yeah. came out of the box perfect. It took other bands a few albums to get to a point where you knew, oh, you too. It took three albums. You get to the war record. I know who they are. Oh my God, they're going to be great. Then they they do the Joshua Tree. They're untouchable. But it took a few albums. Duran Duran first album perfect. When do you start, when does a young Lori Majewski start doing um, the fanzine? When I got to college, 
I had access to um, a scanner, a printer. I was on the newspaper, mm-hmm. and I quickly realized that that I had the key to this thing, to the door, to this office, <laughs> and I can go in there and teach myself Quark and PageMaker, and I can, you know, basically scan in photos of Duran Duran, and it got, it, it was something, it was a symbiotic relationship, because at that point, they were closing their own um, fan club. Mm-hmm. Their Duran, the Duran Duran fan club was closing at the same time that I was starting my fanzine. So they needed an outlet. They needed um, to reach their fans. So I used, I guess I, I, was, I was a freshman in college. So this is around 1989. Yeah, 1989 probably. And I used that, you know, that equipment. And we used to, I, I had many, many fan, uh, f- fan friends. We used to have pen pals, right? Yeah. And I used like Pulse magazine that used to get at Tower Records. And I, you know, they did an article on my fanzine. And, and I had in pretty much every country around the world, I had subscribers. That's incredible because this is pre internet, ladies and gentlemen. This yes. is pre internet where you are, you're having to hand print these fanzines out on a Xerox machine somewhere, correct? Yes, and I never broke even. It was a shame. I was a bad businesswoman like that. <laughs> well, yeah, but you were doing what you loved, and you had people all over the place. You are finding fans who wanted your fanzines. Did you ever score an interview with one of the members of the band for your magazine? For every single issue? What do you think I am? I I'm a I professional. <laughs> Yes, every single issue I would get, not only would I get some sort of interview or if I, if they weren't in New York at the time, I would send them in the mail a questionnaire and they would write the questionnaire. They would answer the questions and put it back in the mail to me. I still have these things today. Um, And also when they would come through New York, like I would know what plane they were on. I would know what hotel they were at and I would go and they would sit for mini photo shoots with me. (laughs) Is it funny? It's It's not funny. I always said I should have been a detective because the shit that I found out, I mean, I remember Nick Rhodes checks out of his hotel room. I know which one it is. I go in there. I went in the garbage. I took everything from the garbage. I even to this day have a number one father father's day pin that he got for his first (laughs) father's day that I got from his garbage at the Parker Meridian hotel. And I could still recite the Parker Meridian phone number 212-255-45-5000. So that's where, that's where the Durans like to stay when they came to New York city, the Parker Meridian. In 1987, yes, okay. it was always different, and they all and they often cha- stayed at different hotels. So you would go to one hotel, then Simon was at another one, and you would kind of time it. You knew what time they would go out to dinner. We would actually sleep outside the hotel, and you know, my parents at one point, my father went to different hotels in New York City with a Xerox photo of me saying, if you see this girl, call me. <laughs> a couple of cops might have done that as well. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing. We'd be laying on the ground outside the Parker Meridian at 4 a.m. And like Eddie Van Halen and Valerie would come like drunkenly stomping up. Like you never knew who you were going to see. We were there for Duran, but like Gene Simmons was always trying to pick us up. It was like so yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, because we were sixteen. Uh, and and it w- was the was the fabulous <laughs> hamburger restaurant in the Parker Meridian open during that period of time? No, okay. <laughs> that was the best. It was, was the best hamburger in New York for a little while in the lobby of the Parker Meridian. Um, that is incredible. When was the first time you saw Duran Duran in concert? It was March nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, at Madison Square Garden. Damn. Wow, that's incredible. So that's the arena tour, the tour that would become the the they did they, they did the live recording of the the arena show in Oakland, but that was the big Seven and the Ragged Tiger tour at Madison Square Garden. Yes, and that was the, the a big date for them because um, when Nick and John formed the band, they made a list of the, the the goals they were going to reach with the band. Remember, these are two boys in in Birmingham, England. And they had a goal within five years, we will play 
Madison Square Gardens, they always said it with an S, in New York City. And guess what? Five years later, they played two sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden, the first band to ever sell out back-to-back nights, two nights at Madison Square Garden, um, the, the 19th and the 21st of March in 1984, Duran Duran. Incredible. See, Richard, your former client, had some drive to him. He had vision. He had some drive. He had ambition. Those are, those are good qualities to have in a client. Yeah, he never lost it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of that, Richard, why don't you play Election Day by Arcadia? Oh. The band took a bit of a timeout after the Seven and the Ragged Tiger tour, but the band members were still anxious to record new music. That led to a temporary split into two side projects, John Taylor and Andy Taylor, and they teamed up with Robert Palmer and chic drummer Tony Thompson to form The Power Station. They had two massive hits with that group, Some Like It Hot, and their cover of T-Rex's Bang A Gong. Simon LeBond and Nick Rhodes wanted to further explore Duran Duran's atmospheric music, and they formed Arcadia. They released one LP, So Red the Rose, and that album includes this single, Election Day. How did you feel when they split up for this stuff? I literally sobbed my fucking head off many times. But I remember when I heard the announcement on it was there was this nightly thing on Z100 called uh, it was like 635 time for da, 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 Hollywood's Hamilton or something like this rock and roll news and showbiz report. I will never forget it. I remember I can picture where I was in my childhood bedroom. And I was in shock, you know? I mean, I didn't know, was this Duran Duran breaking up for good? Was this just for them to do? Like, I didn't, you know, I'm sophisticated enough now to know what side projects are. At that time, all I knew was Duran Duran was splitting. And it was a devastating, devastating devastating thing for me and yes i did go see power station um but i mean it was always with the idea of this is not as great as duran duran and now i see that it was a necessary thing that it made them better musicians and that arcadia record even though john taylor's not on it although he's in one of their videos for the flame um that that Arcadia record is one of my favorite things that any member of Duran Duran has ever done. Wow. So I'm glad that they had that moment. But at the time, it was like a gut punch. First, John and Andy are leaving to do Power Station. Then you hear that Roger Taylor has left Duran Duran. Um, then you hear Andy Taylor has left Duran. It was just like one after another. Like, what? My dream, my life is falling apart. And I was, at that point, 13. Well, I, I felt the same way uh, when I realized that David Lee Roth was not coming back to Van Halen. And then the double punch was Sammy Hagar being hired to be the lead singer. So I think it was, it was a very similar, I sobbed. I, I think I sobbed for an entire month uh, because my childhood ended. Did you when cry? That happened. Did I you did, cry? I believe I did cry. I, I believe that I sobbed uncontrolled. I love <laughs> There is nothing like being a fan. Nothing like being a fan. What else were you into around this period of time? There were 84, 85, 86. What other bands were you loving? And did you have a band that came close to your fandom of Duran Duran? No, nothing came close. But I did. I mean, listen, at that time, they were throwing everything. Like early in the 80s, it was 16 Magazine, Journey versus Duran Duran, who will win? What? Then it was like Def Leppard versus Duran Duran, who will win? Then it was like Wham versus Duran Duran, who will win? Then it was Aha versus Aha. I mean, I like Aha, but like, don't oh, come on. I mean, you can't compare. So it it was it was a tough thing to always have to see some band trying to come up on your band. But I loved Wham. I loved George Michael. I loved you know who I loved. I loved Paul Young. 
Yeah, um, so I was I. really into Paul Young at that age. I, he was like, I remember we had to like list our top five things in life um, for my mass media class, and other people were writing number one, my parents, number two, my brothers, number three, my home. Like, I was like, fuck what number one duran duran number two paul young number three smash hits magazine number four rolling stone like was, my parents weren't in the top five what was that it was the weirdest shit like other people were like just like yep yeah, my pet like i love my pet but like not the top five so anyway it was <laughs> we were obsessed you know i actually remember even harder to accept well, on par with Duran Duran splitting up was when Simon the Bong got married. <laughs> it was December 30th, 1985. 1985, 1984. And I remember being like, this is the end. This is the end of my life. This is the end of my life. Like, what the hell was I think? He wasn't even my favorite. <laughs> stupid shit <laughs> it's, not, it's not stupid shit it's important and arguably it was it arguably led to your current career on Sirius and your career well, as a journalist did. right your career as a journalist possibly came from those early days writing and publishing that fanzine correct everything i am today is is what i was when i was 11 years old i'm just getting paid for it you know i i was part of the team that at us weekly we challenged people magazine like and i remember like we couldn't get an interview with like kate hudson or some shit and i was like well you go to the airport and when she gets off the plane you ask her the question is she breaking up a chris or is she not <laughs> and people were like looking at me and i was like no, that's what you do. And they were like, how are you going to find out how, what I was like, what do you mean? How? This, I used to call up and go, hi, my husband, Simon Levin is on this flight coming in from England. And I want to make sure that he has the vegetarian, the vegetarian meal. And he is at work right now. So can you please confirm that he's on this flight for me? And yeah, Us Weekly became what it became because I was a Durani, a dogged Durani, you know? You need that tenacious energy, right? And your favorite band ignited that spark in you that allowed you to go out and cover the rest of that stuff uh, with gusto. I mean, it's it's fantastic. I mean, that, that, that trick of calling the, the, the airport... Or calling the airline. <laughs> that, that, it's madness, but it's fucking fantastic. Richard, you're looking like you want to chime in here. I, I just wanted to know how you felt when Andy Taylor left the band. <laughs> and, what, and, and, what you, and what you thought of Andy Taylor's solo record with uh, Steve Jones. Take it easy on yourself. Yeah. I was devastated. Look, when the original five, when that cracked, it was really really hard it was really hard because it was the end of the dream um yes i bought thunder his solo album um i went you know what he was supposed to open for david lee roth and that concert tour was canceled so wow look at our two lives coming together there brando wow um i did not know that yes well, i think i think Andy taylor was greatly underrated as a contribution to duran duran's music 100%. I completely agree with you. I, I love Warren, and I think that what he did with the band and giving them mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation when they needed it was important. But Andy, the reason Duran Duran, the reason Brando, the reason you guys love, as guys, you love Duran Duran, is Duran Duran at the, you know, they had, yes, they had the videos, but it was the, they were one foot in the original rock band camp right so they were like andy taylor brought that like really serious steve jones guitar and then nick rhodes brought the very modern sound of the you know the synthesizer which was coming in in the 80s and then you had that insane chic backbone rhythm backbone of john taylor and roger taylor and then you had simon the bond whose real fucking name is simon the bond <laughs> what the hell is that? Right? That's his real name. I think that this is why these guys actually bridge the gap between the new wave people and the harder rock people as well. I think that they had a lot of those yes. elements. And like Scott Weiland told me one time, his favorite band was Duran Duran. Period. 
Wow. Oh my God. He said that? Yeah, I'm going to use that. That's why we, we use Scott Weiland's studio to record John Taylor's demos. And Scott was in jail at the time, so <laughs> he needed he needed the studio to be used. But so wait, Richard, was there ever a was there ever a meeting between Scott Weiland of the Stone Temple Pilots and John Taylor of Duran Duran? Did they ever have a sit down, like some I, ground rules about here's what you do when you use my studio? I can't have you eating nachos on the control board or. I, just, when, when, dude, uh, literally, when John was recording his demos in Scott's studio, Scott was in jail. So, <laughs> so I think maybe he came to the whiskey show with John. He might have met John that I night. think he was at, at the Viper Room when Neurotic Outsiders. Remember Neurotic Outsiders? I used to fly on my measly, like, $30,000, like, in 1990-something YM magazine uh, salary. I would fly to, like, several times a month to see Neurotic Outsiders wow. play uh, the Viper Room. And who, was was in, who, was in, who was in Neurotic Outsiders, for people Steve, who don't know? Steve Jones. Mm-hmm, right. Duff McKagan. Yeah. JT wow. and Matt Storm. Yeah. And I flew to Germany to see that band. <laughs> that it's, it's, I just love the level of fandom. I, I really do. I, I love, <laughs> I love the level of fandom and I'm going to give you one more fun little nuggets of how Duran Duran plays into our world uh, and your world as well. Ordinary ask, world. <laughs> ordinary world. Our, our our ordinary world. I'm going to ask Richard to play Hungry Like the Wolf. And Lori, I'm just going to read just some little notes as we sort of wrap up here. We're kind of rounding third base. There have been a number of lineup changes over the years, but Duran Duran continued to record and tour until this day. And like Lori said, they were supposed to play a 40th anniversary show in London. Their current lineup consists of original members John Taylor, Nick Rhodes, Roger Taylor on drums, and of course Simon Laban. To date, the band has sold over 100 million records worldwide. In 2019, John Taylor and Simon LeBon inducted their heroes, Roxy Music, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Duran Duran is not in yet. We're going to talk about that in a second, because they could be. They should be. Here's a list of artists who've declared their love for the band. Elton John, Kylie Minogue, Paul Young, The Bangles, Beck, Gwen Stefani, Pink, Scott Weiland of the Stone Temple Pilots and Justin Timberlake. Even goddamn Jonathan Davis from Corn. Now. That's his favorite band. Duran Duran is Jonathan Davis's favorite band. That's so fucking crazy. Now, here's the fun, here's a fun little detail for you on this song. Uh, you know the moaning that happens on uh, Hungry Like the Wolf? The young lady moaning? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, our, uh, that's my friend Claire Stansfield. And uh, that yeah, she, you know Claire Simon uh, Lebon's ex-fiance. Well, Simon Lebon's ex, Simon Lebon's ex-fiance um, also dated and lived with for quite some time our wonderful dear friend and host of Rock Tales on Sirius XM Volume Channel One Hundred Six. Ahmed Zappa. Shut the front door. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Dead serious. Oh, yeah. Ahmed. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. Claire? Wow. Oh, yeah. They, they were together for many, many, many years. Uh, Claire is fantastic. Shit. She has two boys here in the city of Los Angeles. Not Ahmed. Uh, she went up. Not on there. <laughs> that we know of. No, they, no, they, they are not Amits. But Claire went on to, of course, form the, the legendary CNC, um, the CNC California Shirt Company. But, which uh, is like a competitor for Juicy Couture, which is owned by John Taylor's wife, Gila. Well, was. Isn't that weird? <laughs> We're all connected. No, it's not. We're all connected. And here's my, here's my Duran Duran story. I can't believe that I was going to forget this. Lori. Richard has heard this story before, but I'm just going to share it with you quickly. So I, I, I will say this to you. Uh, I am one of the best karaoke singers in the city of Los Angeles. And back, and back in the day, uh, the karaoke scene at the farmer's market on 3rd and Fairfax on Saturday nights was the place to be. Uh, and I was there every Saturday from like 1994 on. And I there this is crazy i've probably seen you perform okay so here's the deal so i had because i was there every week i had fans 
and people would come up and ask me to sing songs. And one night, this incredibly attractive woman came up and she asked me to sing Miss You by the Rolling Stones, uh, which I did. Cut to me going to a party after the karaoke night was over. That same woman was at the same party. Cut to me waking up in a guest house in Beverly Hills. And the thing that I remember, I remember a lot about that evening, but one of the other big takeaways was that she was a nanny for one of the members of the band. Um, I don't know who. I didn't push I it. Bet I bet it just... was John Taylor, and it, because he was living in L.A. at the time with his wife, then wife, Amanda. What year was this? <sighs> I think this is 97 or 98, possibly 99. It's probably, it's probably um, Atlanta Taylor... <laughs> Uh, John Taylor's daughter. Yes, absolutely. Well, wow. Was her name Beth? I, I that I don't remember because I'm a horrible monster garbage person <laughs> <laughs> who did not follow up oh, on, on a very oh. fun night. But uh, yeah, I walked home. I actually walked home from Beverly Hills back to Hollywood uh, after that evening. It was really super fun. Now, um, how do we get Duran Duran into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? What do we need to do? I am trying. I'm trying really hard. Um, I think we need to bump off some of these old people that are on the, the, the committee that don't understand. So we can start there. <laughs> and then I think we need more women. More women need to be on the committee, the nominating committee, yeah. because I think that's part of the problem. There's this stench around Duran Duran that, oh, you know, they're like, you know, the girl, they're a girly band. They're a teeny bopper band. The fucking Beatles were a teeny bopper band. Have you kept them out? Nope. So there you go. And 40 years, 40 years, umpteen hits changing, you know, changing the world of music through video. Who is a better video band than Duran Duran? So like, there's so much, you know, they're continuing on like what David Bowie started They're They're at the, the beginning of that classic alternative era, there's many, many reasons. You want to talk about commercial success? What about the fact that their last record, 2015's Paper Gods, debuted in the top 10? Wow. I mean, in like top 10 on Billboard in 2015. So they have longevity. They have commercial success. They have so many bands. The first, out, the first song they learned to play was Rio or Some Like It Hot. Look at No Doubt look at live those bands the first songs they've learned to play with render in our power station i mean they have the influence you know there's so many things here they check every box so why are you dragging your feet rock and roll hall of fame yeah, well done. Lori Majewski, come on. What a strong argument for Duran Duran and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm upset too. All I need is Duran Duran in and I need uh, Iron Maiden in because they, they too have sold 100 million records worldwide. Richard is really sick of me talking about that little issue. But uh, I'll it's important. I'm made in getting in for sure. <laughs> well, both but after those, Duran both those, well, both those bands are still <laughs> relevant to this day. Both those bands, when they tour, have the most successful tours consistently on the Polestar uh, charts. Anyway, Lori, we've been chatting for about an hour. It's time I to. I wanted to ask. <laughs> well, I'm well, going to have to go back to feedback and talk about Cypress Hill tomorrow or something like that. Well, you are, you are, you are an exalted member of the Brando cast. You are more than welcome to come back and do this with us anytime uh, that you want. And it's it's just such a thrill to have you. Um, on this little podcast we've had such a good time uh doing rock tales and feedback when we merged the two shows on Sirius to do them together i think that those shows have uh, have worked incredibly well um so i want to thank you just personally uh for that because it's it, we Aww. always have a good time when we appear on I, we do on your show. we get very drunk do you have do you have anything else that you want to promote or uh, is there anything outside of feedback that you're working on right now that people should know about well, I mean, if you want to find out more about 
Duran Duran and the classic alternative world. Um, not only do I host a weekly show called Lust for Lists on the First Wave channel on Sirius XM, which is channel 33, Lust for Lists is a weekly mixtape that I put together, and I almost always have a Duran Duran song on there. That's Saturdays at 9 a.m. Of course, it's always available on demand. Um, on volume, I also have Fierce Women in Music. My latest interview is with Carly Simon who turns 75 this month. Wow. And um, last but not least, the, the thing that probably has gotten my second career going is my book, uh, Mad World. And a, it's a definitive oral history of uh, classic alternative. And it's 35 chapters or so, each chapter on bands from the Smiths to Duran Duran interviews, all brand new interviews over the last five years with members of these bands. And yes, there is a Duran Duran chapter and it's hella good. I actually like learn stuff. Like I didn't know that Girls on Film is basically based on a Patti Smith song and that Simon the Bond wrote it. So it builds up to a climax, just like ejaculation <laughs> <laughs> oh, he said that to me on the phone and i went um i never heard this before he goes i saved the good stuff for you Lori." <laughs> you brought I the thunder Simon, you, brought, you brought the thunder today to the brando cast thank you for having me uh, thank you laurie <laughs> and richard Matt is John Taylor. New respect, Richard. I had a lot already. <laughs> Richard is a man who wears many, many, many different hats. He's not just a he's not just a guy who's quietly producing all these different things in the background. He is uh, he's had quite a little fun career here in the city of Los Angeles. So, Richard, it's great seeing you again. Thank you so very much. And to the rest of you listening to the Brando Cast, we are growing exponentially. Thank you so much for liking, subscribing, leaving reviews on Apple. We've got so many great guests coming down the pike and some punk rock legends around the corner. So until the next time, cats and kittens, Richard is going to play us out with one of Lori's favorite album cuts from Duran Duran. What do you got for us, Richard? New religion. Oh, yeah. Go.